0: You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary of the National Cattlemen Beef Association. This week, Tanner Beamer, Director of Government Affairs and Market Regulatory Policy for NCBA, holds a panel discussion on the regional triggers report that came out of NCBA earlier this week.
1: October 1st is the start of the federal government's new fiscal year, and usually NCBA's Washington, D.C. team is singularly focused on the annual appropriations process and making sure the government gets funded without any policy riders that are harmful to the cattle industry. This year, however, October 1st was significant for another reason. It was the date that a subgroup of NCBA members was due to develop a framework to achieve price discovery in the fed cattle markets. Joining us now by phone to talk about that framework and offer a little background on how NCBA got to this point are three members of that subgroup. First is Jerry Bone. He's a Kansas cattleman and NCBA's president elect who served as chairman of the subgroup. Next, representing the Iowa Cattlemen's Association on the subgroup is farmer and feedlot operator Brad Coima. Brad is also a licensed commodities trader for Coima Coima Verilect Trading. And last, but certainly not least, is Kevin Buse. He's the owner and operator of Champion Feeders, LLC, and he represented the Texas cattle feeders on the subgroup. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us on the call. Jerry, let's Glad start with here. you. Thank you. You bet. Jerry, let's start with you. Obviously, the price environment has been pretty tough for cattle producers these past few years, and that wasn't helped by the fire at Tyson's Finney County plant in Holcomb, Kansas, or the COVID-19 pandemic can you help give us a a brief background as to what led to the appointment of the subgroup and and what they were kind of tasked with looking at?
0: Well, as you've alluded to, the beef industry has had a lot of struggles uh, over the last, particularly the last year. And the concern the industry has is that there has not been a robust, transparent volume of negotiated trade in our markets. And so, uh, uh, NCBA members came to uh, our summer meeting in Denver uh, in July and we had about a six hour long live cattle marketing committee meeting where uh, lots of different options were looked at and discussed and we came out of that meeting with a compromise resolution. It's marketing uh, M1.10 fed cattle price discovery and what that policy uh, asked NCBA to do was to establish a subgroup of the Life Cattle Marketing Working Group and task this body with the, developing a voluntary framework to include triggers, which increases frequent and transparent regional trade to a regionally sufficient level. And so we had a six member subgroup that was appointed, uh, of which Brad and Kevin were a part of. Uh, and uh, we went about meeting then for over the last couple of months to uh, uh, break down this issue and see what we could cut, put together a program that would be uh, uh, meet the requirements of the resolution. And so that's uh, that's how we all got started. And uh, uh, as chairman of the group, I would tell you that it was a very, uh, I think, a very successful project when we got done.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to staff those meetings and uh, take notes and and uh, help put together the final product. And I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. So I guess, uh, Brad, let's go to you. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, uh, you're, you're up in Iowa, you're in the North, a lot more small farmer feeders up in that part of the world. You know, what was the sentiment of of your constituency kind of coming into this conversation and, and what did you really hope to get across uh, during the subgroups uh, proceedings?
2: Thank you, Tanner. And I, and I would also want to, you know, reiterate what Jerry said too. I was, um, encouraged by the uh, cooperation uh, that uh, I, I sir uh, felt when I was working with the subgroup, um, Iowa obviously has got a uh, much a different style of cattle feeding than than uh, some areas in the south. Uh, you know where where there is in fact a lot of uh, smaller operations. Uh, we also have a tendency to uh, have a, a lot a uh, lot larger number of negotiated. Uh, uh, cash cattle traded you know well over fifty percent you know so uh, you know that perspective you know for some of of the people up here, you know the whole idea of the of the the formula trade is something that's new and and quite foreign to them so you know i it's not to me of course, but uh, I had to kind of represent a bit of that element and and bring the story back a little bit uh, uh, to the the north if you want to call it that um but I think we all kind of recognize that uh, the change, uh, while it comes slow, I do think that the steps that we made out of the summer meeting and the steps that this that this policy is, uh, does reflect a movement toward more what uh, the Iowa trade that you asked me about uh, would certainly be supportive of, Tanner.
1: Yeah, you bet. And and Kevin, you know, same question to you. Obviously, you're producing the same product as those guys in Iowa in terms of fed cattle, uh, but you go about it much differently just based upon the region of the country that you're producing in. So I guess I pose the same question to you. What were your thoughts coming in and and what were uh, the folks in your neighborhood uh, really wanting to see come out of this? Thanks, Tanner,
3: for having me on today. I appreciate that. Uh, and And one of the, one of the, uh, as a, as a smaller producer, a smaller independent producer in the Texas Panhandle, um, I think one of the things that, uh, was the most, uh, important to me as well as our association was to be able to, to, uh, get in and, 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 you know, prove to people, you know, specifically in our area and a few others that, uh, this, this open, uh, negotiated uh, cash trade transparency is, it's very important to our live cattle contract, and uh, so a lot of the things that we discussed uh, were, they were very enlightening to everybody, not only in the subgroup, but out, out in the country, and, and so I was extremely happy with the outcome um, that, that we've got, and knowing that uh, as we go forward, it's kind of, it's a dynamic situation, So. Um, everybody respecting each other's regions and and everything that they got going on. Um, So I really appreciate uh, uh, being able to work with everybody involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's probably worth mentioning, you know, Jerry talked a little bit about the policy that came out of that six and a half hour live cattle marketing committee in Denver. Um, It's the same policy that established the subgroup, but what it said specifically was that The subgroup had to put together this voluntary framework, and in the event that this voluntary method does not result in uh, robust price discovery in the the cattle feeding regions, then NCBA would have to pursue a legislative or regulatory solution uh, to achieve price discovery, and that would be determined by the membership. So obviously, putting together a voluntary framework to try and and solve such a complex issue was was a tall order. Um, I remember some of those first meetings that we had. You know, it was really just trying to grapple with, okay, how do we incentivize participation on both the buy and the sell side of the ledger? Um, And over the course of the the biweekly meetings that we had over the course of two months, you know, I think we we finally were able to kind of drill into it a little bit. So. Um, Jerry, I'll start with you and then maybe uh, Brad and Kevin, if you want to jump in, by all means, feel free. But can you just give a, an overview of, of kind of what the product that the subgroup delivered to the full live cattle marketing working group was and, and how we are thinking we should be analyzing negotiated trade and, and demonstrating progress towards price discovery?
0: I would uh, counter describe it as call it the 75 percent plan for a lack of a, a better description. And what we did is we took the robust trade numbers that were identified by Dr. Stephen Kuntz's research uh, back in 2016, and we took those robust trade numbers for each, re- the five major regions in the cattle feeding areas of the country. And we said that to meet the minimum amount of negotiated trade on a weekly basis, that we had to, o- over a nine week period out of a, out of each quarter, we had to Meet 75% of that volume. So, for instance, in my state here in Kansas, the robust number that Dr. Coons identified was 21,000 head of negotiated trade on a weekly basis. So, 75% of that number is 15,750 head a week. And so, uh, we did that in every region of the country. And of course, each region is different. And uh, uh, and from that, we we put this trigger plan together that. 75% of the volume, required volume each week, 75% of the time, and that was one silo. And then the second silo that we developed was that packer, packer participation by the four major packers had to be uh, 75% of the time uh, that they met their share of the required trade. And how we how we hope to divide that up is, is whatever percentage that each packer uh, slaughter volume makes in a given region, they would be expected to do that percentage of that uh, total negotiated trade each week and be a a buyer on a weekly basis. And we said that uh, we set the three minor triggers, if you will, if they didn't meet that on a weekly basis, that a trigger would be tripped. And if three of those minor triggers happened uh, in two of four quarters, then that would trigger a major uh, trigger that would uh, cause NCBA to go back to our membership and ask for guidance and help in designing a mandatory or a regulatory type program to uh, ensure that we have adequate negotiated trade. So um, right now it's voluntary. Uh, The onus is on the cattle feeders as well as the packers to make this plan work. And it's our hope that voluntarily the industries will come together and that uh, we won't have to go to the mandatory uh, r- route that, that could could be put in place if, if the worst of the case happens.
3: Yeah, I, I echo what Jerry said. There's, he explained it very well there. Uh, you know, the bottom line is, and I'll just use Texas as an example of our robust numbers at 13,000, and 75% of that is 97.50 traded each week. Um you know, at, at the end of the day we've got a we've got to uh we gotta we we have to uh take our participation and take our markets um as importantly as possible because we're we're trying to again offer transparent tra- transparency to a market that uh is is Somewhat mutated a little bit into a little bit of non-transparency. So, getting it back to to a situation where we feel a lot better about uh, where the market is headed, about open markets and things of that nature. The cattle business is not a it's not uh, it's not like other proteins where it's uh, somewhat simple to. Uh, produce something on a smaller tract of land it takes a lot to do what we do and so we need we need transparency transparency in our markets and we need to be able to um, to uh, to know where markets are headed in order to make better decisions and uh, both in commodity purchases as well as as well as our uh, in input processes
2: Tanner for me the uh, the situation I think satisfies at least to a certain degree um, the needs on of of those that um, want time to uh, as they recognize which I think that most within the industry have is that we need to affect change Uh, it allows us some time uh, for those that are not used to uh, to adjust uh, their business practices to try to voluntarily do more. Uh, It also, I think, uh, gives some hope uh, to some of those that are um, um, anxious for something that, uh, you know, uh, maybe would move this thing along a little quicker. Uh, You know, it is our hope as well, of course, that uh, voluntarily we get to the goals that we need, Um, but there are some of us that feel like without that um, uh, lever of, if, if we don't, uh then something else happens and we're hoping that that's the leverage that does create change voluntarily
3: yeah and, to, and to, to brad's point um uh because he's got a very valid point we you know we again the pendulum swung pretty far and uh we we do need an element of uh of um making sure that our behavior uh when we're trading such a you know such a Commodity is is cattle and beef that uh, everything we're doing uh, facilitates uh, a, a more open fluid. Uh, you know, getting getting back to the live cattle contract. That's my that's kind of my my uh, soapbox, if you will, in this whole effort is making sure that our ability to lay off risk as we see fit um, is. We, we need that we need as much uh we need as much transparency on both sides because that that uh that's gonna uh, create a atmosphere where everybody can trust that things are moving and operating like they were because you can look back at at uh, as you said in the beginning of the of the podcast you know with the fire and covid you could tell right there that that markets seized up and they didn't they didn't trade worth a darn for anyone. And so we like to think that the things we're putting out there can better facilitate a, a more open and, and uh, transparent market going forward.
1: You know, one thing I think that NCBA does really well and um, is kind of unique in this way is it allows people with a wide range of views you know, large producers, small producers, different parts of the country with different unique regional issues to come together uh, and have a venue to get those uh, thoughts and concerns and those unique perspectives out onto the table, so that ultimately whatever comes out the backside as a finished product is really um, the the result of, of of robust discussion and and complex vetting. So I'm curious, uh, Brad and Kevin, particularly, you know what what were the meetings like you know that subgroup was appointed to capture some of those different viewpoints and those different regional uh insights um i'm curious you know there are a lot of folks that i'm sure are wondering exactly how those meetings went down and what the conversation was like can you just give us your perspective on on what the average meeting for our group might have looked like
2: well i suppose there are those that are thinking tanner so what's a guy from small town iowa Uh, have in common with, uh, you know, someone else on the subgroup that might be part of uh, the largest cattle feeding system in the United States, huh? Um, The, the, you'd be surprised how much we have in common. Um, In fact, um, I would go fishing with any one of them. That's kind of my sarcastic joke of whether I like somebody or not. I would certainly take them fishing. Uh, I think that, that, that the ability for a very diverse group to work together, was very impressive to me. Um, I thought the meetings were cordial. Uh, I thought that uh, the difference of opinion was respectful on both sides. Uh, In fact, I can remember multiple times I would get asked the question of, well, how is that going to play in Iowa, Brad? You know, uh, when we were talking about different um, uh, potential solutions. Um, uh, We met many times. Jerry does a nice job of of gently trying to, you know, herd the cattle uh, and the and the ideas down the road. But it took a lot of meetings. Um, but I think different things that I've been involved with for me is that sometimes the process is the solution. You know, I mean, as we work through this deal, understood that, and I think everyone should understand too that even this product is fluid. You know, we're going to review it. Um, And if there's more research or if we learn something from this here in a quarter and a year or whatever, um, you know, this is something that we're not just going to you know, put down as the uh, Holy grail uh, either. So I was happy with, with the dialogue. I felt that the input that I was able to give was, was recognized with some level of importance. And I hope that everyone else in the group felt that way as well.
3: Yeah, I would echo what, what Brad said. I mean, I'm a, uh you know the conversations in general when when you have like-minded you know it doesn't matter whether we agree on certain segments we can disagree on that but at the end of the day you have like-minded individuals who all understand that a change is needed i don't think i talk to anybody even outside of the subgroup that didn't agree that some degree of change is needed needed to better uh, facilitate our market and I, you know i'm kind of the the newbie to the group if you will um, a lot of these guys have known each other for quite some time and i've known most of them i've you know just met brad a little over a year ago or no not quite a year ago anyway and yes i would I would uh, make one hell of a good fishing partner with Brad. I promise, and then we could go golfing.
1: So, well, that's really what it's all about. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, Brad, you pointed out something I think that's really important to know, Right? Is that you know this is this is uh, a list of benchmarks for the industry collectively to strive towards. It's it's not a silver bullet solution. It's not intended to be the ultimate fix to the to the marketplace, but. Ultimately, what we wanted was to have industry in the driver's seat until such a time that, you know, it was determined that, you know, we can't achieve what we need to uh, on a voluntary basis. Um, But I think that this framework it uh, goes a long way towards uh, giving everybody a sense of where we need to be, what direction we need to be heading, and then, of course, that that review and adjustment language that's in the report that talks about, you know, the need to, you know, as as we get new information, maybe if Dr. Koontz's numbers get updated uh, in the near future or if we have changing conditions of supply and demand, the subgroup can analyze that on a case-by-case basis. And then obviously if we have another black swan event, you know, we don't know what the uh, fall is going to bring in terms of a, a COVID second wave. Um, and so we, we wanted to have uh, a provision in there to make sure that we're analyzing black swans correctly and not penalizing the marketplace for trying to make the most out of a, an adverse situation. So, um Gentlemen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for folks about the process, about the markets, um, about anything that's that's on your mind before we wrap up today?
0: Tanner, this is Jerry. I would uh, just say and echo what Brad and Kevin already have basically alluded to, that the, the process went very, very well. Uh, we all came in with different ideas. And you know, even the, the discussion in Denver got kind of heated at a time or two. But uh uh this group was able to come together and compromise and and w- one other thing i'd like to say is that we're going to put this in effect as of january 1 of 2021 so we will be reviewing it every quarter in arrears so on early, in early april of 2021 we will the group will come back together and we will take a look and evaluate how the trigger uh, program was met during the first quarter of uh, 2021 so uh That'll give your listeners an idea of when the first evaluation process will take place.
1: Jerry Bone, Brad Coima, Kevin Buse, thanks for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about this process and the work of the subgroup and the voluntary framework that they have developed, visit policy.ncba.org.
0: You have been listening to Beltway Beef. Until we meet again, eat beef. Follow us online at policy.ncba.org and on Twitter at Beltway Beef. Thank you for listening.